Good afternoon, everyone. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a good afternoon. Yes. Man, God's been doing some great things. I want to encourage you. Uh, my wife and I are hosting a trip to Israel, and um, tomorrow is actually the last day to sign up. If you've ever wanted to go to Israel, this is the time to go. Go with your church. It is going to be a powerful time of learning, of discovery, just an incredible connection to what God wants to do in our lives. And so tomorrow is the last time to sign up. So please, if you're thinking about going, make sure that you register for this incredible, life-changing journey. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalms 47 or 42, verse 11. 42, verse 11. And the psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So the psalmist is speaking to himself. You know, we're created body, soul, and spirit. We're a triune being. And, and the truth is we have to care for our bodies because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have to care for our soul because it's our emotions. And we have to care for our spirit because we know that that's going to live on forever. And the truth is that we've got to learn how to be emotionally healthy. There's a lot of people in the church that they seem to be spiritually healthy, but unfortunately, so often, we don't take care of ourselves emotionally. But God, he wants you to be a triune being that is healthy, body, soul, and spirit. Because when your spirit is healthy... Your body is healthy. When your body's healthy, your emotions are healthy. When your body is sick, it affects your spirit, and so on and so on. So the psalmist is speaking to himself, and he says, why so downcast? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so disturbed on the inside? Put your hope in God. And this afternoon, I want to continue my XO series, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about building deeper relationships. And several weeks ago, we discovered that God never intended relationships to be disposable, that he wants our relationships to go deep, that he wants us to be committed to those relationships. We learned that we need to learn how to be all in, that we need to be all there. I don't know about you, but there are times when I get distracted, when I get on social media, when I'm on my phone, my computer, and I'm really not really focusing on those people in my life that I need to be listening to. And we need to learn how to be all there in the moment, to recognize that there are moments in all of our life where God wants to build a memory. God wants to build a deeper relationship. And then we learn that relationships take work and they take intentionality. And that we need to be intentional about understanding one another. That if we're going to have deep relationships, we're going to have to understand the other person. I needed to understand my wife so I can go deeper in my relationship with her. I need to understand those that I work with. I need to understand my friends. I need to understand people that don't understand me. And so the Bible tells us that we, as we are people of understanding, we draw it out of people. And Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person, said that one of the most, most powerful things that we can do in our life is to seek to understand before we're understood. To really listen, as James says, where to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Because the truth of the matter is my reaction will be different when I understand a person, when I take the time to really listen to a person. And so this afternoon, I want to talk to us about walking with people in the deepest and darkest hours of their life. You see, I'm convinced that deep relationships are always forged in the deepest and darkest times of our life. Think about it. What makes us really really love people. I want to say what makes me love people I'm, is that I get along with them, that I'm attracted to them. 
But the truth is, what really makes me love and appreciate people in my life is I can literally say that at the point of my life, when I was going through depression or discouragement, or I was going through a dark time in my life, a very hard time, a stressful time in my life, maybe even a depressing time in my life, or an anxious time in my life, there was someone who was willing to walk with me. Someone that was willing to stand with me. Someone that didn't judge me for being human, for being broken, for being less than perfect. And the truth is, deep relationships are not built on bliss, but they're built on difficult times in our life. When we go through the fire of our life, deep relationships are built often through pain and sorrow. I want you to write this down. Would you take out your phones and just check in at Bethlehem Assembly of God? And I want you to write this down. Hard times always reveal true friends. Everybody say it with me. Hard times always reveal true friends. You know who your friends are when you're going through a hard time. You know when you're, when you're going through dark times in your life, you know who those people are in your life that give you a call and say, I'm thinking about you, or I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be right by your side. When I went through the hardest times of my life, deep friends carried me. When I faced the most difficult situations, true friends helped me face the challenge that I faced in my life. When I went through the darkest days, my deep, loving, loyal friends stood by my side, and they carried me. When I wasn't always myself, my dear friends understood that there was a season of sorrow or sadness or anxiety or depression in my life. And in the process, I learned who my real friends really were. And this afternoon, I want to speak about learning how to be there for people who are dealing with pain. Learning how to be there for people who are dealing with sorrow and grief and even anxiety and depression. Now, you might say, Pastor Steve, why do you got to speak on anxiety and depression? I came to church. I don't want to be depressed. I want to be encouraged. I want you to give me a fiery sermon about how we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. I want you to tell me that I'm more than a conqueror. I want you to tell me that I'll never have to ever go through a dark time in my life. But that would not be the truth. Why? Because we all face dark times in our life. We face difficult times in our life. You see, two weeks ago, we lost someone that we loved very deeply because this precious individual believed the only solution that wasn't really a solution was to take her own life. She committed suicide, and she left a lot of pain behind her. And as a pastor, I, I want to tell you, I want to be real transparent with you, and I really want to be honest with you. It really hurt my heart. It really troubled my soul. It really rocked me to the core. I have wept over this situation. Why? Because I, I know that this young lady was a precious young lady with such a promising future. She had so much to live for. She was brilliant. She was bright. And she was so loving. And as a pastor, I feel, I feel so much that it's my responsibility to help others to know that suicide is never God's option in anyone's life. That Jesus came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. That the word of God tells us that he knows the plans that he has for us. That we have a hope and we have a future. That Jesus came to give us life and that life more abundantly. And that, that God is a hope dealer. That he deals with hope in our life. That he can bring us out of dark times in our life. That he can bring us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we won't fear that evil. Why? Because we know that he's going to be right by our side. He takes the darkest moments in our lives and he brings a brighter future. And I never, ever want any person to think, especially young people, to think that they ever can use suicide as an option. I want them to know that God will take them through whatever they're going through in their life. And this afternoon, we're going to do something really different. We're going to have a panel. And I've invited some special friends to help us to, to work through the process of dealing with people that are dealing with depression and maybe even suicide 
in their life. And tonight, we're going to actually come back together at 6 o'clock down in the cafe. Fusion is sponsoring for all of us, for parents, for adults, for young people, uh, the second part of this panel. So we're going to have a panel today, and I want to invite uh, Dr. Daniel Guara, a licensed clinical psychologist and executive coach with his expertise in stress management and behavioral change. He's also an author of a book, and you can find out a little bit more about the book, and he's a public speaker. Let's give it up for Dan. Our second guest is Christina Ruiz, and Christina, she's kind of homegrown. She's here from Bethlehem Assembly of God. She grew up in this church, and she is a licensed mental health counselor, and we're so thankful that she's willing to come and help us unpackage this and go deeper, and there's Pastor Jared. We all know Pastor Jared. He's the young adult pastor, and he's going to help us theologically even wrestle with some of these questions today, so we're going to jump in, but before we jump in, would you, would you pray with me right now? Would you bow your heads, and let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing over this time together. God, I thank you today that, Lord, that, that you can speak through us today. Father, I pray for those that are watching via live stream today, that, God, that you would reach down into their hearts, Lord, and if there's anyone that's in the cafe, in the balcony, on the main floor, anyone who's going to hear this message in the future, that, God, if they're, they're at a point in their life where they feel hopeless, they feel like that, that there's nothing that they can do in life but to end their life. I pray today that you would show them that you love them. You have a plan for their life, God, and you're a God of hope, God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to help people, Lord. Help us to walk with people in the darkest times of their life. That, Lord, the truth is, Lord, deep relationships are forged in the fire and so, God, help us to be willing to walk in the fire with people, God. Bless this time to, that we have together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I want to jump right in. And, I, and the first question I have for you guys is, is it common for people to experience depression in their life? What do you think, Dr. Dan? Good afternoon, church. Um, yes, it is common. And... I think it's important right off the bat to distinguish between what we tend to call depression in the common vernacular versus a clinical depression. And I think if you're, you know, living in this life as a human, at some point in your life, you're going to feel some sense of sadness, down in the dumps, feeling blue, um, even despair at times. That is a very common experience to being human. What's not as common, but can also happen, is a depression in the clinical sense, which is a separate issue and really, you know, a deeper and, and, and a medical problem. And so I make that distinction off the bat. But yes, it's, you know, we feel depressed mm. from time to time. Now, Dan, you said something last night when we were talking. You said, you know, a lot of people at some time in their life, they have a thought. It's a fleeting thought, but they have this thought that, you know, I'd be better off if I wasn't here, you know. And, um, and so all of us at some time in our life, we want to escape a problem, a situation in our life. And so it's kind of common for people to even think, you know, if it was just over with, I wouldn't have to go through these problems. Is that true? That is true. Yeah, that, that's mm. another thing that's tough to talk about initially because we think we shouldn't have those thoughts. But thoughts are funny. You know, they, they come into our mind, and if we watch it, they tend to sort of just pass back and forth. Some we cling to. But having the thought that, you know, I'm in so much pain right now at this moment that I wish I could just fall asleep and not wake up, we don't like to have those thoughts, but they're very common. And it doesn't necessarily mean that something bad is going to happen or that you're going to move into a clinical depression. It could lead to that, but it doesn't mean mm. that. We all have that. I've had that from time to time. Um, and then they, they come and go, and hopefully they're not pervasive. They're not lasting. So I'm going to take a chance right now, Dan. And I'm going to ask the congregation, how many of you have ever felt like, you know what, if I could just go to sleep and not wake up, it, my life would be a little bit easier. Let me see your hands, all right? Yeah, there's, look at all the hands that have gone up. Yeah, because it's a normal thing when you're going through times in your life where there's a lot of stress or you lost a loved one or you went through a divorce or something very painful. We want to escape the situation and we think, you know, this thought that comes through our mind that says, you know what, if I, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, I wouldn't, have the pain, I wouldn't have the pain and suffering to go through or have to deal with the situation that's 
before me. So, Christina, is it common for Christians now? Now, I want to kind of zero in a little bit more because when, when it comes to depression or anxiety, or even talking about suicide or any of these things, a lot of churches kind of steer clear of it. We want to encourage Christians. We want to, we want to tell them that everything's going to be great in their life, their best days are forward, you know, and all these things. And, you know, sometimes I think when we do that and we don't talk about the, 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 the normalcy or at least the commonality of, of all human beings that go through depression, it can actually cause uh, people to feel guilty or feel ashamed or feel like they're uh, less of a Christian if they go through it. So tell us a little bit about what you've experienced as far as, you know, the Christian world and the, just the commonness of depression. Yeah, I mean, Christians, we're humans like anybody else. So we are built with those emotions and we do have the capacity to feel depressed. The Bible is filled with stories of people who have felt depressed, who have literally said the words, God, I just want to die. God, just take me. We have Elijah, we have Job, we have David. The Psalms are filled with um, just his crying out, his feelings to God about, you know, just feeling so overburdened. The Bible doesn't specifically use the word depression, but it uses overburdened, it uses feeling guilt, it uses feeling uh, weighed down, it uses the phrase crushed in spirit, right? But David talks about, even when I'm crushed in spirit, you will save me, you are there. So to be a Christian, it doesn't exclude us, unfortunately, from the negative emotions that is depression. Yeah, David is a man after God's own heart. And when we think about worship, when we think about a warrior, when we think about somebody who praises the Lord, who dances before the Lord, we think of a guy who's strong, right? And yet, if we, if we look at his life, it's like David is up and down. You know, in the beginning of a psalm, he's like, I can't even get out of bed. I'm so depressed, you know. But he works through it and obviously gets to the point where he's, he's trusting in the Lord. So we can see the scriptures are full of places where uh, men of God, women of God went through times of discouragement, even depression. Pastor Jared, can you add something to that? Yeah, I think when we look at the Bible, we see that there's, there's a normalcy in this. And actually, it doesn't point us away from God. It actually points us to the reality of God. Because what it shows is, deep within all of us, is an understanding, whether we admit it or not, that this world is broken. It's not as it should be. And C.S. Lewis says, you never know a line is crooked unless you compare it to a straight line. We all look at the world and we go, there's something crooked happening here. There's something messed up. When we experience relational loss, when we, when we see injustice, right, we, we can look at those things and there's something inside of us um, that goes, this is wrong. Well, why? Because deep within us, the fact that we're made in the image of God is the reality that this world is not as it should be. So when we experience these things, um, not only should they not be approached with a, a sort of negativity or stigma or a shame, but they should actually remind us that um, the gospel says that God, the story, the, the biblical narrative is God rescuing his family back to himself, right? Paradise lost is becoming paradise restored. And so we can... We can wrestle through those feelings with the hope that this isn't all there is. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I, I see about the scriptures is that they don't hide that, you know. They, they show us men of God who really went through it. One of the most profound examples of that is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. You know, Elijah, he's a great man of God. And he actually calls the people of Israel onto Mount Carmel. And he actually prays fire down from heaven and God consumes the offering. That's pretty cool. I'd like to try that one day. <laughs> and, and just like, God, you know, consume this. Consume that guitar right there. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's like, wow, awesome dude. Um, but the Bible tells us that after he saw this great victory in his life, that Monday morning, he got depressed. He got so depressed that he ran into the desert. And the desert is a symbol of a place that there's death. There's no, there's no life in the desert. And the Bible tells us he sits under a tree and he tells God, I've had enough. I want to die. He felt so depressed that he wanted to die. He, he actually, if you look at it clinically, he had all the symptoms of depression. The Bible says that he went to sleep and he slept for a long time. And then he got up and God fed him and he went back to sleep again. He was burnt out. He was so exhausted and he was so burnt out that he got to the point in his life where he said, I just want to end. I want to finish. I want to end my whole life. 
We talk about Jesus, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. We don't want to see a Jesus like that. But the Bible says that before he went to the cross in the garden, he sweat drops of blood, as it was, and he cried out to the Father, take this thing away from me. And the Bible says he was so sorrowful. At that moment, depression tried to grab a hold of his heart, and he went through a dark night of his soul in his life. And so often we think of, of, of being a Christian and we don't relate to the fact that we're still human beings and we still go through difficult times and even times of discouragement and depression in our life. And so as we think about it, and as we think about the people that we love and even for ourselves, as we think about depression, uh, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit more about Christians and what, what are some ways in which they can get the help that they need when they're going through depression? And let's even kind of talk a little bit about medication. Because I think a lot of times Christians feel like if I have to take any kind of medication for anxiety or depression, that I'm less of a Christian because, you know, I need the help of medicine. So let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, I think um, as a Christian, we're in a tough bind when we're feeling that low because we we have the knowledge and the hope of Christ and we know that but we might not be experiencing it so we think as you've alluded that there's something wrong with us and it can actually make us feel even worse and regarding the medication or treatment piece we all of us tend to think about things in terms of either or either I'm taking medication and I'm away from the Christian walk because I'm relying on something else, or I pray and I press in to my faith and God will heal me. And in some cases, it's a both and situation in that the research clearly shows that if you're in a clinical depression, for most people, um, a combination of seeking professional treatment and sometimes medicine, maybe short term, to help elevate uh, the neurotransmitters and the hormones so that you can respond to solutions, that combination tends mm. to be the best treatment for many. Mm. And again, everybody's an individual, so for some, it might be a little bit more of that versus this, and vice versa. And of course, all the same things that we do as Christians, praying, and, and uh, I know we're going to talk about community and those sorts of things, go alongside those, those treatments. Mm. Okay, so let's dig a little deeper. Christina, medication, what do you think about it? Should a Christian ever take medication when they're feeling depressed, and how should they feel if they have to take it? I think they should feel the same way they would feel if their doctor tells them that you have to take metformin for your diabetes or you have to use albuterol for your asthma. Um, again, every case is different. Every depression varies in intensity and duration and we respond to things differently. Um, and some people talk therapy is enough. And for other people, you need that combination. And I don't think that there should be, you know, any shame about it. Um, we don't feel shame going to our doctor, getting a physical, or because we're coughing and we have this headache that doesn't go away, or we have pain in our back. We'll receive whatever treatment. And, you know, God has gifted um, each and every one of us, some of us as counselors, as therapists, to help you walk through these, you know, hard times and to help you overcome these depressive experiences in your life. He's also gifted us with, you know, knowledge and science and what helps to stabilize the brain chemicals. Um, because that's really, in clinical depression, a, a lot of that is tied to that. There's just something in our brain chemistry that's just not right. The medication helps to align that so that your body works the way it was meant to work. So I don't think there should be, you know, any shame about it. I think getting help, seeking help, and seeking wholeness, that's the most important thing. Yeah, and we're not talking about becoming dependent on medication over God. Because I think that's, a lot of times, Christians, they get worried, well, now I'm going to be depending, this is going to become my God, and I'm going to be so dependent on the medication. No, we're always dependent on God first. We always go to His Word. We always pray. He's the one who brings these good gifts in our life, because every good gift comes from above. So the truth is, counselors are a gift from God. And the Bible says, in the counsel of many, there is safety. And a counselor, a great counselor, is a person who can draw out of people, a lot of times, the solution that's really inside of them. The Bible says, a man of understanding can draw the deep things out of someone's heart, right? So a counselor so often is one who really just helps somebody to discover what that's really inside of them already, maybe discover the word and how to line it up with how they're feeling and behaving. And so I think, it, I think it's a great, great 
a threesome of a counselor. There may be times when medication is necessary to stabilize a person so that they can move on. And pastors and people in the church and people that can bring the balance of the Word of God and prayer and the disciplines of God. And we're going to talk about a community in a few moments and the counselor and medicine if needed. All of those things, as the Bible says, every good gift comes from above. God wants us to be whole and healthy and not suffer silently. Pastor Jerry, tell us a little bit about your feeling about medication in the Bible. Yeah, I think it's an important distinction. There's a difference between uh, medication or something that's used to medicate us to avoid confronting the reality of our issue. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was my experience growing up with drugs and alcohol. Um, it wasn't helping me. It was just helping me avoid the issue. Yes. That's different than medication helping stabilize or um, bring into f uh, the way we were intended to function so that we can wrestle through. And I think that's what these guys do professionally is they help assess and discern which, when is it necessary for someone to go, hey, this is going to help your, your mind function in a healthy way that we can also now we can use therapy and, and health helpful things like that to to work through some of our issues and i think we see that in, we see that in scripture all the time like if you if you know notice this morning pastor henry when he's praying for or this service when he's praying for the baby right anointed with oil well why do we do that because the bible tells us um it tells us also to bring our sick before the elders anointed with this oil but theologians will tell you that one of the things one of the reasons why they say that is um because oils at that time were medicine. Anybody into essential oils now? Every time I get sick, my wife is covering my body with oils, okay? Why? Because they have healing properties, right? And they did then. So what were they doing? Well, part of what they were doing was saying, let's use what God has given us to help make our bodies whole, and let's pray knowing that God can also um, supernaturally intervene. We don't need to pit one against the, one against the other. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. So now let's just, uh, what are some ways in which we can help people we love deal with depression? So, you know, we find somebody, we're feeling like, first we're, we're seeing there's some signs, and so maybe what are some signs that, that we can see in people to say, you know what, maybe they are depressed, and then what are some ways in which we can actually help people go through the depression? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about building deeper, lasting relationships, walking with people through depression. So how do we walk with people through depression? Well, first, some of the signs uh, of a clinical depression is certainly somebody who's uh, looking or reporting or feeling listless and, and low and blue. Um, maybe they lost their interest in activities that they normally really enjoyed or were motivated, so they're losing motivation and interest. We call that anhedonia. Uh, it could be significant sleep change in either direction, not enough sleep or too much. Uh, same thing with weight or appetite in either direction, losing a lot of weight or gaining a lot of weight or overeating. Um, a tremendous feeling of guilt and shame, and you could see, uh, in, in severe cases, thoughts of of harming yourself or thoughts of suicide, moving to plans or action. And the hallmark of a clinical depression is that all of these experiences are pervasive, they're lasting quite a while, and they're interrupting our functioning on an interpersonal level, working, uh, school, those sorts of things. So those, those are the signs, and I you know, realize not everybody's a, a licensed person to pick those out, but you can sort of sense when somebody's having a rough time, and the way to walk with them through that is to reach out and to speak about it. And I think many of us are afraid to do that. We don't want to say the wrong thing, and we also may feel uncomfortable, so we may want to jump to things like advice, or just do this, or just do that, mm. and sometimes that can, that can create separation. But I always say less is more in this situation, in that you'll be so surprised how powerful the art of listening and just containing a person's pain can be. And listening is something we all like to do well. We don't always do it so well. We're thinking about the next thing to say, but if we can rest on that and just create an opening and a receptor for the other person. We first have to reach out, but then we listen and just listen empathically and let them speak and, and hear them and just just be in relationship with them. That yeah. is an incredible start that I think everybody has the capacity to do. Mm. Christina, what do you think? 
Yeah, um, I'll just reaffirm what Dan was saying about listening. Listening is so important. Um, if somebody's going through a rough time, if you suspect that they're depressed, um, don't try to fix their problem. Don't try to f figure out where this is coming from. Just really just let them, let them talk. Be there, be intentional. Follow up with your friends, you know? Um, just how nice is it when you get a text out of the blue from one of your friends or a family member? I was thinking of you, have a great day, or you know, I'm praying with you about that thing that we talked about. It's knowing that somebody cares, and not just the one time, follow up, you know? Take them out for coffee, call them, text them, just checking in, how are you doing? That means so much than what you're actually saying. It's just being there and being deliberate um, about wanting to reach out. And the other things is if you know if it's a practical thing, you know, that's causing them to have a difficult time, a loss of a job or something like that, you know, try and fill a need if you're able to in the sense of like, you know, buy them groceries or babysit their kids, you know, or pick up their kids and drop them off at church or something like that um, to show that you're there, that you care. But I think the most important thing is just follow up and consistency. Be intentional about reaching out um, to the people around you. And just one more thing, I, I think that it's important to say that while those moves or those initiations don't solve a person's depression all the time, it's an incredible start to then uh, springboard into further action like connection to a professional or a pastor or staying in relationship with them, that can sometimes be a healing factor. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just a good place to start, it doesn't necessarily wipe everything away. Right. I think um, when, when we understand what the Bible teaches, it's really profound about, about our, our biggest issue and um, what we're created to be and what the church is. And uh, in, in Genesis 2, it's this creation story. Genesis 1 and 2, it's a creation story, right? And God says, and this is good, and this is good. There's only one thing that he says is not good, and it's that man was alone. And so it's a revelation of the heart of God, which is to be in relationship. And in fact, we know Christianity is unique over any other world religion in the Trinity being an affirmation that the essence of God is love and relationship. One God and three persons. So he, he doesn't create out of uh, a desire to use us. He creates out of a... a uh, a fulfillment of who he is, an expression of who he is, and then calls us to live this out, to live in relationship. And so when we look at the early church, what is the church? It's not a place we come to. It's a people that we're a part of. And so how do we help people? Well, it starts with being in community. It starts before we ever get to the point where we're in the lows, because we all know, like, we, we go through different times. Sometimes you may be low, sometimes I may be low or whatever. So if we're not in community, when we're low, it sometimes feels like it's too late. So Part of that starts now is saying, what does it mean to be a church? It means to be a family. It means to um, invest in relationships. And it also means to um, remove the, the stigma of uh, sin and the reality that we're all sinners. The self-righteousness needs to come out of the church so that we can go and say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm dealing with. And someone can say, amen, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, and then we can actually truly begin to help each other, love each other through the through the hard times. Yeah, I mean, if I look at the early church, the Bible tells us they had all things in common. That means they had, when somebody was sad, they stood with them, they cried with them. You know, James chapter five, confessing your sins one to another that you might be healed. And we're a body, and I, I love what you were saying about community being preventative. Like, when we, when we get depressed, then, well, hopefully we'll still reach out, but sometimes it's too late, you know? So really preventative medicine for depression in some ways is get into community now, you know, find a one group, find the place, a small group of people that you could be honest with, that you could be transparent with, and that they can come around you and support you because that's what the body of Christ is all about. You know, if I hurt my knee or I have an injury, you know, all the muscles and everything, even the blood, everything comes around that injury to bring healing. And the Bible says that when one person suffers, we all suffer together, amen? So when one person's crying, we're crying with them. When one person's rejoicing, we're rejoicing with them. So the antidote in a lot of ways to this world and the fear of that, that's pervasive in this world and the depression and anxiety, one thing for sure is community. It's the body of Christ, the family of God that walks together 
so that we can be healed and whole one to another. Yeah, and I think there's actually an accountability that we have for each other. Right. Even throughout the Old Testament, you see that God punishes Israel for individual sin, but also for corporate sin, when there's a lack of what they're responsible to each other. And as a church, we have a responsibility to each other yeah. as well yeah. to say, my life is not my own. A lot, of the, a lot of the Greek language in the New Testament is corporate. It's not individual. And we're kind of individualistic society. So we have to challenge ourselves to go, it's not about me. I have a responsibility to my brothers and sisters. Yeah. And I think also we have to create a culture, an environment where it's safe to be broken. Mm -hmm. It's safe to have problems. It's safe to go through difficulty. It's safe to say, I have anxiety. I struggle with certain things in my life. It's safe to say, man, I'm going to counseling. You know, it's safe to say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm working through the issues of my life and I really need prayer. When we get to that place where it's safe to be us, you know, you go through the foyer and here's, you know, we all put on our Sunday best, right? So we walk through the foyer and how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you? And we're suffering silently because we believe that, you know, we have to, Put on this kind of this mask and pretend we're okay because somebody's going to judge us. But the church should not be a place, a museum of perfect people. It should be a hospital for hurting people. And we've got to get to that place where it's just simply okay to be broken. It's simply okay to have issues in our life. So we're going to practice it right now, okay? If we didn't do it before, we'll do it right now, okay? So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm broken. And I got issues in my life. And guess what? You got issues in your life. And it's okay. There you go. Excellent. I saw a wife look at her husband and say, you, dude, you got a lot of issues in your life. In fact, we're going to get that counselor right after the service. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so we've got to create this environment where the church is a safe place for people to be human a safe place for people to say, these are the things that I go through in my life. And as we said before, it's common. And in a lot of ways to, to being human, it's normal to go through some of these things in our life. So now let's kind of move through this to a place where let's say somebody is feeling hopeless. Maybe they're really having serious thoughts of suicide. What would you tell somebody who feels hopeless and helpless? What would you tell somebody who feels like, you know what, there's no more help? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we want to have a couple of things that we can have in our toolbox to say at the right time. It's a, it's a tricky question, but of course, as Christians, we first and foremost know we have the hope in the Lord that always to lean on uh, for our lives and that there's something always uh, greater that he has planned for us than that. Uh, in addition to remaining in Christ and in our relationship and, and relating that message, I think we want to give a person the opportunity to challenge their feeling of hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And that's both whoever's listening, if it's, if it's you're feeling hopeless or you know somebody who's feeling hopeless, we want to be given an opportunity to challenge that feeling because it's just not true. Not every feeling that we have is true or that we have to believe, but it can be very, very powerful. So if you can give yourself, if you're feeling hopeless, the chance to disprove that through leaning in, through developing community, by reaching out to somebody, by going to church, by joining a small group, by seeking out a pastor, all the great suggestions that have been uh, put forth, then you can prove yourself wrong. And if you're counseling somebody on that, give them, give them hope through what you found in your own life through walking with Christ or going to counseling, or suffering through something that you've gotten through. So I think that's the area, that bidirectionality, right, from either side, that we have a chance to have an influence. Mm. What do you think, Chris? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there were two questions. What do you do if they're feeling hopeless? What do you do if they're thinking of suicide? Mm -hmm. um, so I'll address the suicide question. Um, so 
first of all, if you think or suspect that somebody might be suicidal, go ahead and ask them. Mm. <laughs> it's okay. You, you asking them is not going to make them, you know, any more suicidal. If that's in fact what they're feeling, it's not going to make them go through with a plan if they have it. Ask them. That's the time to be direct, you know. So by asking it, it kind of relieves sometimes a little bit of pressure. It's like, oh, you kind of guessed it or you can see it and you're concerned about it. So let them talk to you about it. Um, if that's the case, then you want to get them help, <laughs> you know, find uh, it immediately. You want to find somebody to talk to, find a trusted clergyman, somebody who's in the mental health field. Um, if you have to call a crisis hotline, which they'll be flashing on the screens, um, there are resources available. You want to make sure that that person is safe. Um, try not to leave that person alone. And if they do have a plan, you know, you're going to make sure that they can't go through with that plan or you're going to contact somebody in the moment that can help you with that. Um, so there are concrete steps to take. Don't be afraid, especially if somebody tells you that they're suicidal. Do everything that you can within your power and within your knowledge to ensure their safety. It's better to err on the side of somebody being mad at you or being embarrassed than to kind of wake up to a tragedy, yeah. you know, or wish that you would have done something. Um, so there are definitely concrete steps to take if somebody's feeling suicidal. Yeah, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong because I want to make sure I get this right, but when somebody says it, a lot of times they're really hoping somebody will help them through it. And they're, they're hoping that somebody will get them the help because they've, they've, they've verbalized it. Yeah, this is really important because we can, we can both feel like we're responsible for others when a choice like that is made. And we can also miss an opportunity. So it's, it's, it's again, it's, it's, it's this tough stuff, you know. And if somebody wants to go through with that, they can do that by not reaching out and not speaking. So to your point, yes, oftentimes, if they get to the point where, they, where either you were able to get them to say that or they were able to say that, that's a very, very positive sign that there is some sliver or, or greater than a sliver of wish to, to get help right. and, to, and to change. And on the other hand, sometimes there's a silence there right. and we can't necessarily, on the other side of it, beat ourselves up for, for you know, preventing that. We're not God. Right. Um, and it's, it's a very difficult situation. Yeah, the key though is when they're giving you signals, yes. they're saying something, Absolutely. get the help. And I always say, intervene. You could always intervene to save a life. You know, make sure that you take it serious. Every time someone says that they want to end their life, yes. take it serious. I love what Christina said, which is that err on the side Absolutely. of insulting or offending mm -hmm. <laughs> in that moment because this is life or death. It's, yeah. it's serious. And, yeah, and somebody said, intervene. I'm sorry, somebody also said that there are some questions we can ask that can help us to understand how serious they are about actually taking their life. What are some questions that we can ask? Well, the, que the, the basic question is going right at it, is mm -hmm. that are you uh, intending or planning to not hurt yourself, to kill yourself, mm -hmm. to take your own life. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll get a range of responses from people who are in that range. And if, you know, from the clinical world, if people say, well, you know, sometimes I, I think about it, I wish I just wasn't here sometimes, but mm -hmm. gosh, I would never do that. Or, or you know, I, I, I'm too scared to go through with it, or my faith prevents me from doing it. Those are good signs. Those are thoughts. And, and but if somebody's saying, well, yeah, you know, I, I purchased a you know, right. a gun, or I have the means to do it, or I've been thinking a lot about it, I've been taking steps, I've been giving possessions away. I mean, those are very serious things, and right. action has to be taken immediately. Yes, someone once said when you're trying to determine whether somebody's really serious is, do you have a plan? How will you do it? Do you have the resources or the things that you, and when will you do it? And those are some questions to kind Absolutely. of elicit, hey man, this, this person's really serious about it. Pastor Jared, you want to talk a little bit about maybe how you would handle or how we should handle somebody who's kind of thinking about ending their life? Yeah, I think it's important to notice or, or to note that even if someone, you could say, well, they just do this, right? They're not going to really do it. If someone uses suicide as a way of getting attention or getting whatever, there's a brokenness there that needs to also be addressed. So, um, and, and, what these guys have said is it's a real dangerous game to try to for you to try to decipher whether or not they're legit about it or not so i think you gotta you gotta take action and encourage them um to to seek help to seek therapy and, and whatever they need to uh to get on the right track 
Yeah, so tonight we're actually going to be coming back together again at 6 o'clock and Fusion is actually sponsoring the second part of this panel and what we're asking you to do is actually text your question for tonight's Q&A by about 3 p.m. so that we can get those questions and be prepared to answer them. But we're asking everyone to come back out this evening, especially if you're a parent. We're going to talk a little bit more about the signs how we can know, how we can see, um, what we can do to walk with people through depression and suicide and a lot of other questions we'll answer. So everyone, please, you're more than welcome to come and please text your uh, questions to us so we can be prepared for that. But, you know, as we uh, wrap this up this afternoon, I do want to ask one very provocative question and I, I think it's very important for us to wrestle through this. And the question is, is, Is suicide, the taking of one's life, ever an option for a Christian? The way I'll answer that is uh, the reason it's not an option is because it's a permanent action that can't be reversed and it robs God and humanity from providing a possible alternative. Uh, I can share personally that I came to this church at a moment of despair and deep sadness in my own life. And I don't know where that would have gone, but I do know that because of community and because of the brothers and sisters of this place, and they continue to speak into my life, you know, that really was a very powerful uh, experience for me and really shifted the course uh, of my life and, and that despair and sadness. So I just think from a personal perspective and a professional perspective, there's a lot of alternatives out there. And so uh, we wouldn't want to mess with a permanent action like that. You know, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, suicide is never an option. I mean, depression, suicidality, it's so deceptive, right? It makes us think that it, this is always gonna be the way it's gonna be. Um, I'm never going to be able to get out of this pain. The way I'm feeling in this moment is the way I'm going to feel, you know, for the rest of my life. My, my family, my friends, everybody would be better off without me. And it's so deceptive, and it gets us into this mindset that we believe that we need to take our own lives. But for a Christian, it's never an option. I mean, Jesus saved us. He gave, he gave us new life. He gave us eternal life. He also saved us to have abundant life here on earth. You know, and I said it in the other services, God has gifted us, each and every one of us. We have value, we are unique. He has gifted us with talents, with abilities that only you have, placed you in families and churches, um, and you have something to do here. He saved you for a great life here on earth, not so you could save up all of these talents for when we get to heaven. He promises abundant life, eternal life and abundant life. That abundant life is here on earth. That's what Paul talks about all the time when he's preaching to the different Christians, reminding them of this glorious salvation, which we're not going to minimize, but also the fact that you have now stepped into new life here on earth, and that is an amazing life that Jesus has granted us. We're to live like Jesus, that resurrection power, you know, within us. And when we talk about Jesus as, as our Lord, we're like, God, our life is not our own anymore. It's not your own anymore. Don't, so don't take it away. Don't think that you, can, you have the power to do with that life you know, what you will. So I would say that, no, suicide is never an option. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah. I would say from a, so one of, my, one of my concerns is as a pastor is that theologically people start to think this isn't a big deal. And um, I think there's, a, there's, there's two reasons I want to say why suicide is never an option for a Christian. The first would be this. Um, when you read the Genesis account, the creation account, um, there's a lot of ancient creation accounts from other, other religions. They're all, they're all polytheists. And in those accounts, there's multiple gods that would create humanity um, to be their slaves or to do their work or whatever. The, the Christian Genesis account is really different. And, and what, what is happening is... God is creating his temple, his universe, and he's inviting us, his creation, to dwell with him. And so at the very heart of the nature of God is him as a creator, a a artist who's creating his masterpiece, and we are that masterpiece. 
And he's gifted us, being made in his image, to also be creative, some of us more than others, but to be able to create. And so when we take our own life, it is an attack on his ability as a creator. What it's saying is, God, your creation is not good enough. And in fact, I'm going to elevate myself above you. I will judge your creation and say it's not worthy of life, and I will take this into my own hands. And so that is a big deal. That's a really big deal. Um, the other thing I would say is when we get to the point where we go, there's no way out, I just want to end it, there's something in our minds that we think, if I had that thing, life would be worth living. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be a relationship, it could be, um, it could be a respite from maybe pain of abuse, or um, a whole variety of things, it could be a job or money, and we think, man, if I just had that, maybe a loss of a loved one, if I just had that, then I would be happy. The problem with problem with that is as a Christian the very heart of the gospel says that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we need and so yeah yeah you can clap for that so if we say to ourselves well I'm going to take my life because it's not worth living what we're saying is there's something other than Jesus that I worship more there's something other than Jesus that I love more. And obviously, that's really, um, that's really problematic when we're talking about what does it mean to be a Christian. So if you get to that place, we have to look to the cross. We have to look to the gospel and say, there is nothing that I need more than Jesus. Jesus is working to make all wrongs right. And we can rest in, in the truth that the gospel brings. You know, as the worship team comes... Um, I believe suicide is never an option for a Christian because it actually goes against the very nature of God. God is a redeeming God. God is a God that can create miracles out of impossible situations. God is a God who turns difficult situations into situations that he could use for his glory. God is a God who could take our pain and turn it into gain for somebody else. God could take our scars and he can take all of the things that we've ever gone through in our life and he can use it to help someone else. And I want to be transparent with you and I want to tell you that I had a difficult childhood growing up. My dad died when I was a little boy and there were some things that went on in my life that were very unfortunate and very, very painful and dark. And my stepfather died when I was a teenager as well. And um, I didn't have a really, really happy childhood growing up. And at age 13, I just really wanted to disappear. Now, I didn't have a plan. And I was always told by my mom that I was never to trust in my own wisdom, but to lean on the wisdom of God and to trust that all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You see, we all know that scripture, don't we? Romans 8:28. All things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not just some things, but all things. A difficult situation when we were a child can turn into a possibility where we can become a compassionate pastor or a compassionate Christian to help so many other people in their life. Somebody that was abused as a child can take that pain can take the information and the understanding and become sympathetic and empathetic to other people. And what the devil meant for our harm, we could use to crush his head. Come on, somebody say amen. What the devil meant for our harm, we could take that today and use it for somebody else's benefit. So I'm thankful that I didn't end my life. I'm so thankful that I'm here today. I'm thankful that even though it was a very dark time in my life where I wanted to just, I wanted to be gone, I'm thankful that I held on and I believed that brighter days were coming and brighter days are here. And you know, somebody once said, suicide is a permanent act for a temporary pain. And the truth of the matter is for some people, pain goes deep. And the truth is, it's not so temporary. For some people, pain is something that they live with. Maybe it's a physical pain. Maybe it's a thorn in their flesh. As Paul the Apostle said, I cried out three times, God, take away this thorn. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm here to tell you, young person. I'm here to tell anyone that's in this room today 
that no matter what you're going through in your life, I can promise you this one thing. God will walk with you. God will be there right by your side. And if you reach out to God and you reach out to people, there will be enough grace to get you through whatever situation you're going through in your life. God is a redeeming God. And suicide is never the answer. Why? Because there's so much more that God has for you to do in your life. You see, there's a seed of greatness on the inside of your life. And God wants to use you in the future in great, great, incredible ways. Eye is not seen, nor ear is heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man what God is preparing for those who love him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today. God, that you are a redeeming God. That God that you are a restoring God, that you're the God of hope. You're the God of a brighter future. And God, the truth of the matter is, is that some of us, we have lifelong pain. But Paul the Apostle said that this present suffering can never compare to the future glory that will be revealed in us. That our life is just like a mist. It's like the width of our hand, oh God, and then it's gone. And Lord, I thank you today, Lord God, that you can give us the courage and the strength to hold on. God, that you could use us in the future, God, in great ways, God. And so, Lord, we pray for anyone that's in this room, anyone that's watching via live stream. We pray for any young person who feels that their life is hopeless, Lord. Help them to recognize, Lord, with you, there's always hope. With you, Lord, there's always strength. With you, there's always courage. With you, Lord God, there's always, Lord, you take something bad that happened in our life and you turn it into something that we can use for the glory of your kingdom, Father. So, Lord, today we submit our lives to you, Lord. Our life is not our own. We're bought with a price. We belong to Jesus. And, Lord, we can't make decisions, Lord, that take, Lord, our lives out of your hands, oh God. We place it back in your hands, oh God. And we trust you for our future. We trust you in our pain. We trust you in our sorrow, God. And Lord, I pray for those that are here that need help, God. Father, that they would be courageous and they would know that they're with people that love them and care about them, Father. And Lord, I thank you for that. And maybe you're here right now, today, and you say, Pastor Steve, I'm not certain that if I die today, I'd go to heaven. And I'd like Jesus Christ to take my life. I'd like Jesus Christ to take my pain. I'd like Jesus Christ to take all of who I am. And I'd like Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins and give me eternal life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want you to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you right now. God bless you. God bless you for all those wonderful hands in this place today. You say, I want Jesus to take my life, and I want Jesus to give me eternal life. Well, listen, after the service, I'm going to be standing right here, and some of our altar, we call them counselors, are going to be here, and I'm going to ask the team to go down as well. And I want to shake your hand. I want to give you a hug. I want to pray for you today if you raised your hand. But I'd, I'd like for all of us to pray this simple prayer. And then after the service, please, if you raise your hand, I want to shake your hand. I want to give you some information to, to start this incredible journey of trusting God. Not a perfect journey, not a, a journey that won't have some suffering, even some times of sorrow, but a journey where you can know that you know that God has your life in, in His hands and that all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Would you pray with me all across this place today? Would you pray this simple prayer? Lord Jesus, my life doesn't belong to me. Lord, thank you that you love me with an everlasting love. And my life will never be hopeless when you're in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. And be my Lord. From this day forward, I trust you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all stand to our feet? Let's give the Lord a clap offering and just thank him for being a God of hope. Come on.
If you know that God is a God of hope, if God gave you hope today, come on, give him a clap off and say, thank you, Lord. You're a God of hope. You give us hope, Lord. You give us a great future, God, in the name of Jesus. Now, uh, if you raise your hand, please come forward. And in a few moments, I want to pray with you and give you some information. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Steve, I could just use somebody to pray for me. Maybe you're not depressed. Maybe you're not anxious. Maybe you're just going through a really hard time in your life. Or maybe you have somebody that you love in your life that's going through depression. And, and you want to pray for those people. Maybe you need a miracle today. You need prayer today. I'm going to ask you to come forward as well. And my, my friends are going to be here to pray with you. And the altar worker is going to be here to pray with you. Hey, listen. God has a plan for your life. And it's big. I love you. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you. Have a great day. Don't forget tonight.